Hey everybody and welcome to When Words Fail Music Speaks. Uh, this is Blake and this is James here. Um, this is a very monumental episode. Uh, this is our 100th episode, pretty big deal. James, like, did you did you even expect us to get to 100 episodes? No, I was, I was hoping we were going to be past our 7th episode because they say after the 7th or before the 7th you'll get, you know, you you lose interest and you kind of, kind of, uh, you know, fluster out. But I'm glad we made yeah. it to 100 episodes. This has been great. Yeah, it's it. I've I read the same statistics. Uh, you know, it's usually the seventh, or if you make it past the seventh episode, it's usually about the thirtieth episode is when you really just start getting, you know, burnout, whatever, and you just okay. you hang it up. Yeah, because I heard anytime before the seventh when you get burned out, you're like, okay, yeah. well, people aren't listening, I guess people don't depends. care. Yeah, and it depends on how often you're uploading. Um, we wanted to do a weekly show, uh, yeah. just because I, I think that's I, I like the flow of a weekly series, uh, and you know having some bonus episodes that we do during the week as well. That's been really cool. So, yeah. um, we've been doing it for like what a year and a half now, and and so hit a hundred since February twenty twenty. So about a year yeah. and some change. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, this is this is great, man. I, I'm yeah. I'm super happy to be doing this, and uh, it's a uh, I I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's fun to talk about music, and especially in relation to uh, kind of like helping with uh, numerous other things, especially mental stuff. You know, I think it's very therapeutic. So, yeah. uh, what I really like doing this this podcast with you is getting to meet all kinds of musicians alike. You know, yeah, we met Yogi. Sure. We met Yogi from Demon Hunter. Well, I, I, I met the, I met Yogi from Demon Hunter. You weren't yeah. there, and, uh, but yeah. but he, but he did check you out because I because I, I made sure he uh, spoke to you, and uh, we we interviewed Buddy Jewel and and uh, Chantel Shen, Ogden and a lot of musicians, and I just want to thank you for helping me out with him whenever he could because. There were some times when I had no questions at all, and you just came in and just overtook the overtook the conversation, and for that it helps me a lot. So thank you very much yeah. for that. Yeah, man, yeah. that's a uh, it's it's fun, and and as we mentioned before, my brain is usually just full of music knowledge and about a billion music questions that I just can't seem to like get out of my head. Uh, until the opportunity comes up and then I just can't shut up about it. So, um, <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, it, this is great. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. This has been a, a really fun series. Yeah. And to think that we finally made it to a hundred episodes, I don't know, man. It's just yeah, it's just unreal. And then what an episode for us to yes. to release as our hundredth episode. Uh, yeah, we we're talking know, to Scott big. Page today and it's man yeah. man, that's one of my all time well technically th this interview fell into our laps because uh I have a friend, um Cody, who runs a channel on YouTube called Popular Opinion and he and he couldn't make it because Mr. Scott Page was coming on his show. He yeah. couldn't make it. So he's like, Okay, well I have this I my my co host has this podcast with his friend, you <laughs> And Me. uh yeah, you <laughs> Blake, you're right, Brosley. So he said, uh would 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 he uh like to come on their show and he's like, Yeah man, let's do this. So we set it up cool. and we're here now, you know, talking about yeah. Mr. Scott Page from Pink Floyd. Yeah, Scott, yeah. uh if you're if you're happen to if you happen to be listening to this, uh as the episode comes out, thank you again for taking the yeah. opportunity to talk with us and uh thanks Cody for the hookup with uh 
with arranging that. And, yeah. uh, James, I appreciate everything you do for the show and, um, you know, getting interviews and things like that and the whole editing process and, um, building the website and, and the list goes on. You guys have no idea. James is like behind like about 99.9% of the show. Yeah. So, well, he, see, uh, okay. So, all the credit can't go to me, man, because um, uh, okay. uh, you helped me out with the with the with the weekly shows. You know, you, you're you're the one who comes up with all the Monday shows, have the full script. So you know, I mean, I just take that just takes that just takes me more time to find musicians to look for and get them on or get them on the show. So you handle the the the, the Monday show, which is always you know, which is always a uh, a, a treat for me to do, to help you with. So, yeah. oh, well, well, thank you, thank so, you for letting me. I can't uh, take all the credit, so don't don't do that. <laughs> well, you you can you can choose not to take it. I'm still going to give it to you okay. anyway. All right, but, yeah, but you know it, it's so fun, like talking about music and uh and and we've had some great guests on the show. Um, thanks to everybody that's come on the show so far. Mm -hmm. uh, look forward to having some returning guests. We do have a returning uh a returning guest coming up in a, in a future episode. So that's going to, mm. that's going to be fun. Um, and, uh, hopefully have some more people back and, uh, finding some more opportunities to talk to new, uh, inner, um, guests and, there you go. um, kind of yeah. learn more. And, and like, there's no, the fun part about this is that there's, we're not like one genre specific, like this, this show is about all different forms and types Everyone, of music. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's all inclusive as Michael Scott would say. And, uh, I think, uh, I think we, we've, we've got a lot of a great, just a load of like really great plans ahead. Um, right. You know, we've, me and James bounce our, uh, ideas off of each other constantly. Um, and uh, Cover Wars has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed doing those. Cool. Um, that's probably, and, that, that's uh, probably my, my, my favorite, my favorite part of this podcast, other than meeting celebrities yeah. and musicians. Yeah. Cover Wars, man. Cause, cause. Yeah. Everybody needs to check out the Cobra Wars because it's 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 a truly a treat to to uh, um, be heard because um, there's so many good covers. It's like who do I choose? And that's yeah. what we get into the meat and potatoes of. It's like which cover song would you prefer? Not which one's better, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. So, well, we're 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 looking forward to another hundred episodes. Uh, thank you guys for all your support, uh, checking us out and um, giving this podcast a try and. Hopefully enjoy it. If you've got any ideas for what we can do to make the show better, please hit us up. If you've got ideas for cover wars, you got ideas for episodes you just want us, any topics you want us to discuss, hit us up. We'd love to talk about them. And I do want to give a big shout out to uh, to Canada because they they yes. moved us up to the fifty one out of like a hundred and something in their and yeah. the uh, in the Apple um, Podcast Music Commentary section. Yeah. So I want to give a big shout out and thank you for for that to Canada and yeah, thank you to all the listeners in Canada. I, who would have thunk, man? Like you know, I, in Canada, you I know. didn't know, and you sent me that, and uh, my mind was blown. Canada, yeah. such they're such sweet people. I mean, they how are, can they not? Right? They are. We we've uh, interviewed a lot of musicians from Canada. Um, you know, yeah. Wilder, um, uh, Ty Tyson Dang and uh and Lauren Bevick, and the list goes on and on. You know. Yeah, but um, for, maybe why we were doing okay in in Canada is because they had a lot of connections. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so for uh, listeners out there, um, please, like I said before, I know this is like like drilling in your head, but uh, 
if you wouldn't mind, um, leave a review and rating uh, and and rate our podcast because it helps us in the long run. You know, it helps us get more, more and more um, uh, opportunities to talk, to talk with musicians. You know, we we were unable to do last year up until now. Yeah. So yeah. yeah so if if you would really please write and review our podcast, we would be humbled if you did that. Over the moon yes. for sure. Yeah. yeah, thank you guys uh, for for the support so far. Uh, appreciate you guys checking this out and um and uh, checking out the YouTube as well. That's been going really well. Thanks, James, for all the YouTube stuff that you do. Um, I literally have nothing to do with any of the YouTube <laughs> stuff. That's all, James. So, yeah. um, but uh, check out the YouTube. Uh, continue to you know get notifications whenever we drop new episodes, yeah. and uh, we hope that you guys enjoy our episode, uh, our hundredth episode. Um, with Mr. Scott Page from Pink Floyd. Yes, enjoy, and thank you again. Bye. Like many of you, we battled depression during life's ups and downs. Music has always been the one thing that we could rely on to get us through the tough times that we all face. Follow us on our journey as we discuss the healing power of music, interview bands, break down genres, review band biographies and more this is the when words fail music speaks podcast with blake mosley and james cox and now the when words fail music speaks interview hey everybody welcome to when words fail music speaks my name is blake mosley otherwise known as brosley today i'm joined by james cox james cox how you doing today sir hey man how you doing Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, today we have another special guest on the podcast. Man, we've had like such a great string of guests. Uh, it's been it's been really fun to do these interviews with you, James. But uh, today is a whole. I, I don't even know where to begin. Where do we even start? Man, uh, Scott Page. Start, start from the <laughs> beginning, brother. My mind is just blown. Right. Oh man, um, Mr. Scott Page. Thank you so much for, for coming thank on. you thank you for having me on your show guys I'm very happy to be here and uh, uh, that was very nice thank you very much making it so exciting that I'm here I couldn't believe it thank you <laughs> well I've got a few things uh, a few things here to, to say about you uh, before we okay. hop into the questions um, just a little short biography that I found on you um, okay. so Scott Page is a musician technologist and entrepreneur. As a performer, he is widely recognized as the saxophonist and slash guitarist for Pink Floyd, Supertramp, and Toto. He currently mm. serves as CEO of Think EXP. Is that the proper way to think experience? That? Think EXP. That's the best way gotcha. to go. Yep. Which is a live immersive media company based in Los Angeles. We'll get to that later. We've got some questions okay. about that. Sure. Um, as an entrepreneur, Page formed Walt Tucker Productions, an audio uh, video post-production company that included projects for the Rolling Stones, Bon Jovi, Janet Jackson, Garth Brooks, Scorpions, and among others, uh, mm -hmm. an incredible lineup there. Um, he also co-founded Seventh Level Incorporated, which is an award-winning CD-ROM game and educational software company. Yep. Um, at seventh level, he co-produced Toonland, the world's first interactive musical cartoon starring Howie Mandel. 
um, the globally uh, lauded Monty Python interactive series uh, and was instrumental in the development of QD7, an interactive multimedia joint venture uh, between Quincy Jones, David Salzman, and uh, Seventh Level. Um, Page co-founded New Media Broadcasting, a social media and collaborative communications company. Uh, he's frequently, uh, frequently he speaks at a, as a guest lecturer and panelist at numerous media conferences and universities. Um, he was also a featured guest mentor on over 150 uh, of the weekly syndicated radio show Business Rockstars, uh, hosted by Ken Rakowski. Um, as an artist, he continues to record and play live performances. Today, we have the absolute honor and privilege to talk with you, sir. This is amazing. Wow. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the wonderful intro. Boy, it makes me old. <laughs> I can't believe I did. I can't believe I've done all that stuff. Right? That's so fun. Man, crazy. So yeah, what a life. What a crazy life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've been through a lot of stuff, and you've seen a lot of stuff. Um, so, oh. so it's it's a pleasure for us to actually get to get to learn what what all you've seen and and uh, and been through. So this is awesome. Thank you. Great, well, love it. Well, like I said, thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, Every, yeah. You, the, Eileen speaks very highly of you guys. So oh, nice. Oh. <laughs> this is going to be a good one. She said. Yeah, so yeah. I said, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank Plus you. This week. Well, I, I want to jump right in with okay. the uh, – I'm sure you probably get asked about your your Pink Floyd uh, experiences and, yeah. your, and the questions and things like that. I want to jump right in with the Think experience. Like this is something okay. that is so incredible to me. I, I watched several videos about this. Um, on the website, it's described as uh, striving to revolutionize the entertainment industry by bridging the gap between the human spirit yep. and, te and uh, technological innovation with one of a kind live immersive concert experiences. And can you just tell us kind of what that is and how sure. it started? Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, as an artist and a musician, uh, you know, the, the world has shifted so much, you know, you can't sell music anymore. There's no place to sell it. Right. Where are you going to sell it? What are you going to play it on? You're not selling CDs. Nobody's got a CD player, uh, you know, and downloads aren't happening really anymore. So the only thing is really this live streaming business. And I mean, that's a rough business for most artists. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, you got to have roughly a, a million streams to generate maybe four to five thousand dollars roughly. Sure. Uh, sounds like, OK, a million streams, but there's very few artists on the entire Spotify catalog that even reaches a million streams. So it's a very niche business for those who can really make it. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done. If you got the right marketing and get there, if you get, you know, you can do three, three million streams a month. You can you can make, you know, 14, 12, 14 thousand dollars a month. So that's real money. Sure. Uh, but it's very difficult to get to that that space because you know it's all about the uh the playlist and those playlists are really owned by the labels and it's really hard to get on those lists and stuff so it's a tough business so seeing all that you know i just started realizing that well where is the revenue revenue model being a kind of a serial entrepreneur this is my fourth company i've been doing this for a while and uh i can't believe i'm doing it again which is crazy uh the uh that people will pay for an experience that's like what what can you sell today the artist can sell two things they can sell the relationship if you have the right relationship influencer space you know people will pay to have that relationship or uh uh the experience um and so i just realized that creating experience is what it was about so we started to build think experience and uh one of our first experience was a think 
Floyd experience, right? So we oh, did a Think Floyd that. experience. We yeah. could do a variety of things. We could do Think Stones. We could do Think whatever. But the first one was a Think Floyd experience, and we were doing it in a 360-degree immersive dome in Los Angeles. Now, what was interesting is we sold about, we did 40 of those shows just before the COVID year, the year before COVID. um, And we pretty much sold them all out, which was great. And main thing, people loved coming to it because it was really experience. You lay down and you look up and you're basically, it's 360 degrees. You're immersed in this visual wild stuff. So you got this crazy visual stuff. We even had some beds and stuff. Some of the seats where people laying in these things were connected to the music and the band. So it was really experiential. And, you know, it was kind of like a shared VR experience because when you look kind of up, all you saw, you were immersed completely in the experience. And you can imagine with Floyd and all this cool visual stuff. So it was really cool. And, you know, we were getting ready to, we had partnered with a company uh, out of Canada and we were in the midst of putting up a 1,600-seat uh, immersive theater in, uh, down in, um, uh, in, down at the Queen Mary, down at the beach, but then COVID hit and everything fell apart. So what we've done now is I saw this. I woke up that morning when I drinking my coffee, and I realized, wow, all our revenue's gone when they shut everything down. Our revenue's gone, no gigs, no nothing. We're like, we're toast. And uh, that poor theater is sitting in storage someplace right now, which in – very expensive to store because it's a you know big massive thing right, right. so uh, we ended up not uh, not doing that so I started looking at uh, other other revenue models and what are the opportunities because I believe right now because of this COVID situation and what it's thrown us into it's created one of the greatest entrepreneurial times I've ever seen in my life it's there are so many op- there are so many problems to solve and new ways to think about everything and so we've been um, think we kind of flipped our model a little bit and we started thinking about how we can do a a live show uh, a little different where you're not going to jam 10,000 people in the room right out of the gate because of that but sort of a premium live experience that's tied to uh, streaming but it's really for me it's the real time two way streaming that is really where the where the value is right so it's how I can bring fan in stream so I can bring fan into the into the event and start creating that kind of interactive experience between people and then the third thing we are uh, we brought into it was delivery service because i can't hand you something through the screen we can be there in real time but i can have something delivered to you that can enhance the experience so we're launching Livin.Live. our first show will be coming up we were supposed to do it last year but then the covid killed us so we laid off but we're going back in we're going to do our first show in august that combines all of that and then also there's a lot of some tech and things that is involved in all of this where we were actually really focused i don't know if you've been focusing on the nft space uh if you guys know what nfts are do you have any idea well it's their non-fungible tokens and what it is it's in the cryptocurrency space but for those out there that might be artists or business people it is without a doubt the most significant most powerful thing that has happened for the artist that I've ever seen in my lifetime. It completely flips the script on everything and and tokens. It's basically in the crypto space. Maybe you heard about the Beeple painting that sold for $69 million, the digital piece of art that was pretty big in the news just recently. Um, You know, uh, on the music side, the Kings of Leon did 20,000 uh, of their album, their new album, and they sold basically $2 million worth in like seven minutes of these non-fungible tokens. Because what happens is a non-fungible token is when you take the blockchain and the, the, the ability to basically 
connect a digital asset to the blockchain to be authenticated is the only one of those digital assets, right? The authenticated digital asset. Well, that changes the whole game for artists because now I can release a set of collectibles that can be traded in the marketplace and have value. And in a certain sense, if you think of NFTs, it's just the new publishing model and that artists now can control that. So it takes a whole different, uh, uh, a new model to create experiences because for me these nfts these non-fungible tokens are really uh one-of-a-kind experiences that you can bundle up you can sell them in sets you can sell them you know you can make one of 100 and only have 100 of those and then those can be collectibles and so even for new artists now they can think about how they create art tie it to the music tie those tokens to this thing and actually sell these and uh you know trade them now what's so interesting about it is is once those tokens are attached and you've actually created that authenticated piece of digital art that's managed on the blockchain, it controls all the rights from that point forward. So you're actually being able to, you're giving the person that actually buys that the ability to do things with that that's set up in what they call the smart contract. But what's nice is in that contract, you can have a waterfall of basically a royalty stream and it can go on. So if I sold, like an example, a guy put out a painting, he sold the paintings in seven minutes. They were $900 a piece. I, I can't remember exactly how many he already sold, but it was like maybe 4,000 of them or something or 400. Of them. Anyway, it turned into about 400 grand in the initial sale. Right. Well, that same digital art piece uh, a week later was selling for 118,000. So the person that bought those at $1,000 is now ability to sell it upward of 50, 60, 70, 80, up to 118,000, which was one of the bids for that. And But the royalty stream of 10% was left that always goes back to the artist. Wow. So out of those 400 or whatever it was pieces, uh, the 400 pieces at roughly $1,000, they uh, those people that bought it, bought an asset that was sellable and then they sold the downstream he ended up getting about three and a half million dollars about a week later after all the trades of the actual asset so it really changes the whole game you can gamify them there's things that you can do think of it like a loot box right you can unlock this box that has all kinds of cool stuff in it one of a kind and then you own that like a collectible right and then those can be right. traded so it creates new revenue streams and what's great is the blockchain manages all those rights so what happens is the minute what's so beautiful about this is the minute that the sale happens the money shows up in your digital wallet. So you get paid instantaneously for the sale. And then every time it's sold, the blockchain with nobody involved, if it's sold again, automatic looks at the smart contract and then sends the the money to those wallets. So you just wake up in the morning, you're going, how did I do today? Well, man, the 10,000 bucks is in my wallet today. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I never have to go to the label or anybody and say, hey, let me audit your books. Where's my money? What's happening? So it completely flips the, the, the narrative for artists now to control their IP, right? So yeah. if they have and own that IP, first thing you do is you tokenize it. Now you've put it in and everything from there is a license and then you can get to control all of that and then you're constantly getting paid. So it's one of the biggest things. So if there's any artist out there in your in podcast land, uh, I really highly suggest you jump into uh, Google or go to YouTube and write in, what is an NFT and how do they work and stuff like yeah. that. And start going down that rabbit hole. It's worth putting that 15 to 20 hours of understanding because this is the Wild West. It's a new frontier and it is 
it is the gold rush in this space and there's been lots of these 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 things going down right now and uh, so i just i advise everyone artists to really take a look at this and take control of their ip and their stuff from this point going on so anyway think that's what we're doing we're focused in that space our living show is one giant nft and it's built in and we have a whole model based on that and uh we're getting ready to launch that coming up in august august 14th will be our show our first okay. our first official, official uh, run of this model nice nice um so, i do have a question about the oh, i'm sorry james oh, go that, ahead, no no go ahead i got a separate question i was just gonna ask is this the first would will this be the first show since covid that you've um that you've done well i with i mean full blown i've done uh we just played like a week ago we ended up playing a little event at a uh for the young presidents association we did a, a an event we bring my think band so the think x is the name of the band and that's yeah. stephen perkins from jane's addiction and kenny Olson from kid rock's band and and norwood fisher and that i'm sure eileen's probably hopefully getting some of them on your shows hopefully. uh with you speaking of eileen there she is she's calling me right now oh, but hey, i'm not eileen. going to answer because we're uh, doing this at this moment so sorry. Tell her. Uh, so tell her we love her, and we. we, we we're all right, here. Oh, she's gone. I will oh. tell her. I will tell her. You're probably getting some of those guys. I'm sure she's probably booking them on the show too. Probably. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, sometime soon. Um. Yeah, but I do have. Yeah. A, I, I do have a question. Going back to the, uh, um, stream sales and physical, uh, physical copies, right? So I believe that 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 downloading streaming music is kind of like a double-edged sword now. Um. Yes, you get your name out. Um, but you don't get you don't get hardly any any money feedback from those sales. Um, yeah. Do you find the way that it was in the, it was in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, as opposed to now, a little bit better or, or worse? But but you can get your name out a lot easier now since it's right at your fingertips. I mean, I can make a I can make a totally a total song off of my laptop and send it out to the world, and they yeah. they have it. Oh, yeah, that's rising. How do you rise above the noise, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's why it's a tough business. But that's my point is, is it's my I, I teach a thing called space, which stands for story, plan, army, conversion, education. It's a basically a, a business model for artists. It's all about the story. The story is critical and it can't be, hey, I'm a saxophone player from Cincinnati and I play this and I grew up. Nobody cares about that story. It's like, what do you stand for? What's your purpose? What problem are you solving? Something that is valuable that you can then to help you rise above the noise, but more importantly, it gives you the keywords and the phrases and the understanding that you can then basically growth hack and you can go figure out who you find your audience, right? So it's you get the story, then the plan from that from your story, the plan all falls into place, and you have to. That's a whole nother model of like figuring out. I use lean startup principles, so you can go Google lean startup and start learning about the lean canvas, which is a one page business. But so we go through this whole process. The A is the army, your influencers, your your super fans, and that's your basically your early adopters to the whole thing. And you got to learn about conversion, which is conversion funnels and things and then that you can just go i don't want to take too much time on oh, this fine. but you know <laughs> yeah so then 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 you go um uh 
uh, 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 where was I? I was on uh, C. So conversion funnels are how to find your audience and then convert them from fans into customers. Because if it's a business, you've got to generate revenue. So I always try to teach my artists that, yeah, they're your fans, but we need to turn them into customers yeah. so that you can support yourself so you can run your business. Because every artist now, I believe, is, a, in the, is in the startup business. Like I said, this is the greatest time for the independent artist. I oh, mean, yeah. you have these things. you got access. Whoever owns the audience wins. You have the ability to get out to your own audience. You got the build, ability to build that relationship. You got the ability to sell your products. You can take the order. You can take a credit card. So it's really about the how do you think about building your business. And you have to look at the trends. You have to understand everything. And that's why in my last, the E, which is the education, you got to get educated to yeah. figure out how to do yeah. those things that I talked about above, right? You got you to go to school right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, I've got, I see so many of my artists, you know, they're doing streaming things and they put out a, you know, a tip jar and stuff. And that's okay. They make a little bit of money, but it's very difficult. I'm finding that they're fatigued after a while. It's very difficult to really generate any real revenue. So that's why you got to look at these other models and like why NFTs and experiences and how do you bundle things together to create something people really care about that will actually pay for it. And that's what helps you through the lean startup is how to identify your business what is it you're going to do? I mean, what I love about the lean canvas, that one page business plan is it doesn't only tell you what you're going to do. It tells you what you're not going to do. Right. Because you can artists can spend a ton of time and build a whole bunch of stuff. And I have so many artists, I'm going to make an album, then I'm going to get on social media and I'm going to start telling people to buy. It doesn't work that way. Right. It's just right. nobody buys albums anymore. It's very I mean, you do not say nobody. It's it's very difficult to get anybody, first of all, to review an album uh, because who's going to sit there through eight to ten songs, you know, and then it's also difficult to sell them other unless you're doing vinyl as a special edition or something. And that's kind of interesting. So it's really you have to think as an artist, you have to start thinking about, well, what is the smallest and most important thing that I can do that's going to give me the biggest amount of impact? That's one of the lean right. things. It's lean startup. We're we're starting with very little money when the, you know the principles of lean are as you know fail fast. So if it's a bad idea, you want to know as quick as possible so that you can right. move on to another idea. Uh, you know, don't run out of resources. So if you have a thousand dollars, you don't want to spend your thousand dollars until you've tested and validate, which is another piece. So you test and validate everything that you're going to do in a simulated kind of a way so you can determine if it makes sense. And if it does, then you pour the gas on because you don't want to waste your money, right? And uh, so there's these handful of things that you do. And as an artist, I think it's really critical, especially so that you can actually build a business because it's really, I ask the first question I ask artists, is this a business or is this a hobby? Businesses make money hobbies are fun and they're things you do and they're both good right. i'm not putting anything down but when you're going to be in the business side of it you got to really think like a business a business person so i don't know if that answered your question because i, I took it off onto a total new tangent so That's sorry fine. about it's that it's perfect it's perfect i mean you are you have you to are, yeah. it's perfect it's yeah. perfect um so yeah uh when uh when you are starting to start a band or, or anything, um, we are influenced by a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. So we can be influenced by a song to do something else or like like a band to create our own band. So my question for you now is, um, who influenced you back then when, when you started your, your music career? 
and who influences you now to kick okay yeah i think it really oh yeah sorry i didn't mean to step on you there i thought you were finished um it really comes i grew up in a musical family my father uh was a musician um he was i actually grew up on a television show called the lawrence welk show which somebody might remember it was sunday it was uh saturday night television i think it was saturday i can't remember now uh but for 14 years he was in that band on television every week so i grew up in that space and then my father was also a serial entrepreneur i mean he we had boat businesses we had lighting businesses at one time we had 26 donut shops we had a candy business he had a reed business saxophone reed business and he was also started the whole concept of amplified instruments where he took a hearing aid and used it like a microphone and slapped it on his clarinet because he was a woodwind player and started and then played that through an amp and started that amplified thing. He went to the uh, Thomas Organ Company, which owned Vox, V-O-X, Vox, Musical Instruments, Amplifiers. And then they took him on to build the first amplified orchestra, which was the the studio Sound City. I don't know if you remember Sound City, which is one of the big you know, one of the historic recording studios. It was originally called the Vox Sound Lab. Then it became the uh, Sound City. They changed the name to Sound City and all those incredible records through the years from Fleetwood Mac Rumors to, uh, you know, Metallic. I mean, everybody recorded it. So many hit records came out of that, that particular space. Well, that was my dad's studio that we started. And then he was also uh, an entrepreneur. Him and Brad Plunkett from uh, at Vox basically developed and built the Wawa pedal. They invented the Wawa pedal, which is one of the classic, you know, yeah, being yeah. a guitar player, you know, that's today is one of the classic pedals of all time, you know, Jimi Hendrix. And actually a funny story is that first, the first recording of the Wawa pedal was my dad and it was on a bassoon. That was okay. the first instrument. It was called the Wawa doozy. And he played Wawa with a bassoon, and that was the very first recording. It's funny, I just found uh, in our storage a carton filled with those original 45s of that original record, which is kind of fun to see again. But uh, so my dad was my big influence musically starting up. And, um, you know, I I actually was funny because I started out and wanted to be a uh, 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 I wasn't really into music as a kid, but I played trumpet. I was a trumpet player and kind of kept it up when I was going. But my love was design and graphics. And uh, I studied to be I was going to be an architect. And I was a uh, uh, my right throughout of high school. Uh, I went in and became a, a draftsman for a company called Audiodyne at the time. And then I got into a band during that time with uh, Jeff Picaro and David Page from Toto, right, who became Toto. It wasn't Toto. And we had a kid band at that time called Merciful Soul Band. Uh, and uh, we, uh, Merciful Soul was like a horn band that was like uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears Chicago kind of a thing. And um, we started winning all the battles of the bands. And I was the second trumpet player. I was the worst guy in the band. But I would go to those gigs and I always, it was like, oh my God, there's a lot of girls here. And so I said, you know, I think I'm going to be a musician. And uh, I ended up changing my career from that and started taking music on full blown um, to, uh, you know, make that happen. And uh, from that, I became a musician and just started studying like crazy. And, you know, I've had so many influences that have been really important to me in my life musically and certain musicians and people. I was a big Junior Walker fiend. I loved 
uh, Junior Walker as a saxophone player, and he was an influence. But I mean, I have influences in business, in music. My composing and arranging teacher, I graduated from a course called the Equal Interval System, which was by, uh, by a guy named Lyle Spud Murphy, uh, who developed it. it was an equal interval system. Um, the um, a whole new way of kind of writing a 12-tone equal interval system. So I learned that. And then music-wise, you know, I just got into a whole bunch of different uh, things, but mostly in the R&B world. You know, I love Stevie Wonder, was kind of one of my all-time heroes. All that early Stevie is still some of my favorite stuff. Yeah. Uh, wow. And then, you know, I got into guitar, and I started studying with a guy named Ted Green, who did this these all these books called Chord Chemistry. And, and then, uh, boy, I don't even know. I mean, there's so many influences. And today, it's like, you know, my I really got into the business side of things, and that's where, through the years, I started my businesses. Actually, when I was out with Pink Floyd, uh, I had a company called uh, Walt Tucker, uh, which you talked about, which we were doing all this post-production and stuff, and I went out and, you know, I ended up kind of having to run my business being on the road with Pink Floyd, I had to ask them to uh, please give me access to the production offices because that's the only place they had phones so that when I would go there, I could call my, my, my company and my folks were running the business here and run my business uh, from, uh, you know, all over the world in the production office during that time. So, right. you know, as far as influences, God, I mean, I don't even know where to go. Lenny Bro, who was one of my all-time favorite guitar players, who ended up living with me for, uh, uh, we were roommates for about a year when I found him in Maine and brought him in. Uh, you know, there's just so many, I don't even know where to start when you're asking the question, who are the influence today? You know, my mostly my my biggest influences have been people in the business space and in that because I've really focused on business. Like like I'm on my fourth company right now, um, and uh, so I come I'm been sort of known as combining business and technology. I mean, business, entertainment, and technology. I've sort of been on the technology side of things because of all the things I did with my tech companies, and now think is really about bringing back so i can play again to be truthful it's like i wanted to build something where i could actually really start to play more because i got so involved in these tech companies right. i didn't get a chance to really uh you know play as much as i wanted to so i that's why i kind of started think where i could wrap our band think think x around this business and technology space um you know there's like i said influencers there's there's a ton of them but you know my most of my influencers that inf, inf, guys that influenced me were people that uh to uh, get done you know it's interesting eileen's just saying she said we're trying to get you to do the 5 30 show i'm on the 5 30 show <laughs> with you guys right now yeah so she's yeah. hitting me up where are you where are you and i'm on i guess i should tell her let me yeah. let yeah. me just tell her here while we're on you you yeah. asked me another question all right uh, yeah because uh, oh okay so you said you have four uh four companies so i sincerely wanted to know because i have trouble with this um how do you like find time to sleep? As a, <laughs> oh know? yeah, it's a it's a bit of gig, but you know, I mean, I have so much fun. I love what right. I do. I right. love the business. Yeah, I love what's you know the just the concept of like the art of business and the art of making stuff. And I try to combine them. I try to teach with the artists that I that are serious about the business. Is you have to look at the business side of it, just as as valuable as the art that you make, right? right? Especially today, because we're in a direct-to-consumer world. It's a one-to-one -one model. I mean, that's the beauty about it. I don't need anybody. If I have my audience, I can 
I just go direct to them. I don't need anybody. And even when I like with NFTs and the whole crypto space is when I sell you something, I get paid directly and I don't need anybody anymore. I don't have to go collect from anybody. I just go direct to you and we're all good. So, you, go. uh, you know, it's really about the art of both things together and bringing them together. Yeah. Cool. And I wonder why sleep. NFT drops right now. We're launching a whole series of those coming up, uh, which I'm very excited about. So we're, but it's just like, it ain't easy having this much fun. That's my motto. <laughs> That's yeah, good. yeah, it sounds yeah. like you're having a blast. Um, it, it seems like think if I, if, if I'm gathering all this correctly, it, it's, it's like think is also meant to be like an educational experience as well. Right. Well, like, yeah. I mean, what? Well, yeah. Every, you know, I think people people want to learn and they'll they'll pay for learning. So we yeah. we build things into this into our models where we have some education built into and we have some aspirations on how we're going to bring that more and one of the exciting parts of what we're doing with all our nfts and all the clients that we're bringing in artists uh they're all carving out a, a chunk that we're putting into the uh let me help foundation which is then going to dole that money out to specific things and one of our places what we're doing right now is we're building a music school in watts called the watts conservatory of music and it's my it's with flea from the chili peppers and norwood right. fisher fishbone they're the kind of the leads on it myself and norwood and uh perkins our whole think band and then a whole bunch of artists lee scalar i don't know if you know lee the bass player from phil collins phil collins band and uh he's part of it and we're launching a whole series of him and his nfts with his with his new book right now called uh which is kind of fun. It's called, here it is. I have it. Everybody loves me. And Lee's gonna <laughs> yes. love me. Everybody, have you heard about this? Have you been, has Lee been on your show yet? No, sir. No, yeah, that'd not. be great. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. yeah, so Lee, Lee is doing this. And what this is, is he for has for the last 15 years, he has had everybody, the who's who of everywhere in the business, people all over the world, big artists, uh, actors, directors, everything, flip them off, right? <laughs> so this is an entire coffee table book of people flipping <laughs> off Leland Scalar, everyone from you. I don't know if you can see these things. Yeah. I mean, it's like, let me see. Let me find some people here. They're kind of fun to find here. Uh, uh, I'm turning the page here. I'm trying to find some big ones for you. I right have here. got to get that book. I just got. Oh yeah, yeah. it's the best. It's the best. There's John Goodwin. I mean, he's got basically here are the people he has in this book. He's got Joe Bonamassa, uh, Mickey Jones, Al Schmidt, Phil Collins, Jackson Brown, Michael Brecker, Abe Laboreal, Jane Seymour, Dweezil Zappa, Mick Fleetwood, Eddie Van Halen, Graham Nash, Mark Hutchins, Slash, Van Dyke Parks. Uh, goes on. Paul Williams, Bonnie Raitt, Lou Adler, Jack Nicholson, Hal Blaine, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, Jim Keltner, uh, Ray Parker Jr. Uh, let me see. I just I don't want to read them. Lyle Lovett, uh, uh, Mickey Raphael, uh, Jack Black, Keith Richards, <laughs> Ray said Ali Wills. It goes on. Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard. I mean, it's the crazy Everything, thing. Yeah. So we're oh, doing a we're doing a uh, NFT. Uh, we've turned his whole thing into a set of digital trading cards. Right. Right. Oh, and so we have a whole set of rares that we have, you know, the normals, the ultra rares, the ultra things, all of that stuff. Yeah. And so we're getting ready to launch that as a whole set of NFTs. And it's really fun. It's funny as heck yeah. to see oh, this. Yeah. Who, who doesn't, you know, it, 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 
you, you got to have some of these, right? Gwyneth Paltrow flipping you yeah. off. My God. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, um, and it's all because everybody loves him. It's all in love and spirit fun, right? It is. It is, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, oh, and, uh, and you just mentioned a, an artist that I, that I like adore with my life. It's uh, Bonnie Raitt, man. She puts, on, oh, Bonnie. she puts on the best concert because I saw her with uh, James Taylor. One of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. It's amazing. Bonnie's one of the great musicians. I mean, she's an incredible talent and what a beautiful singer and her playing is extraordinary. I mean, she's the real deal is she's the real deal. Bonnie Raitt is the real deal right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sir. Yeah. Okay. uh, So, um, so uh, have you recorded two albums with Supertramp, which are brother Brother, where, actually, I'm on three. I'm actually on three. three. Brother, where you bound? Free as a bird, and and uh, 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 famous last words. Okay, cool. Okay, I, 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 yeah. I, I just didn't know that last one. Um, was there room for you to to have your say in the recording process, or was it like you're doing this and I don't, you know? Oh no, I mean, they're pretty much, you know, we go in the studio, we go because I was playing with them for years, right? Okay, and you know, just like anything, we work, we go in the studio, and we work parts out together. Uh, if Rick had lines he wanted me to play, then I would play those lines. And, uh, you know, so it was that, that kind of working relationship that, you know, it wasn't, they had charts necessarily written out, come in, play these parts. It was more of a collaborative thing, you know, put us, figure out a solo here, come up with some lines. And so we just kind of worked together on that. And then some of the stuff, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. Right. If there was minette melodies that he wanted me to play and things like that. Okay. But yeah, I love those guys. That was a great band to play with. I mean, that was probably my biggest before Pink Floyd. That was one of the biggest tours I'd been on where, you know, it was world stadiums and that kind of a thing. And there's just wonderful people. I mean, John Helliwell uh, is one of my favorite humans on the planet. I've learned more from him, not so much about music, but about life. He is the consummate, enjoy everything. And when he, he takes a bite of food, he is so present. His eyes go blank. You can see he tastes everything. And, you know, I used to laugh. I'd see him. He he loved collecting uh, 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 Swiss Army knives. So all over the world, he would go to places and find. And they're like, there's lots of them, man. There's like tons of oh, different yeah. colors and finds and things. And he would find a new one. They were like, you're in Switzerland or something. He'd find like this cool Swiss Army knife that he didn't find anywhere in the world. And I'd look over him in the dressing room. He just bought it that day. And he'd be sitting there looking at that thing like like 20 minutes just pay you know like really getting into everything so he was a true connoisseur of just experiencing life at the at a level that i had never seen before uh somebody that just loves really wonderful quality things right yeah john was great so uh yeah i loved him he taught me about food and eating he just he loved fine food like we'd go and he'd get the chef would always sign the 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 the, uh uh, uh, the the menu and you know he was a fanatic about that stuff so it was great he made me really think about life in a totally different way yeah yeah fun times that band that was a great one Toto was fun too I mean those guys yeah. it was great to work with them because they were my high school guy my friends when we were kids and I I sucked when I was young I couldn't play that good so I didn't I didn't have a I couldn't I couldn't keep up with them they were already great players going off and doing things and so my I was having a run to catch up afterwards because I decided to become a musician later on in life and then I just you know ate drink sleep that's all I did was play 24 7 
day in, day out until studied with all great teachers and really tried to get myself together to get to a point. And so when I got called to go play with them, that was a really big thing for me because they were, you know, Jeff Beccaro, you know, one of the greatest drummers of all time. Right. I mean, you know, Jeff is legendary at a level that is just crazy. Right. And and so getting to play with those guys was, uh, again, was a real Oh, it made me feel good. I finally got to the point where I could play good enough to play in that band with them to go do that tour, right? right. Yeah. So, well, that was that was actually our next question we had here. Uh, so that was the 1985 Isolation tour, correct? correct? Yeah, yeah. So, how did that go for you? Was it was it were you did you just kind of because you knew those guys before? Or did you just kind of jump right in like you you know no issues or? Well, you know, here for me it was like. They were, I mean, Jeff was always really, for me, mentally and just striving was somebody that I wanted to get. I was always, man, I got to get to the point where I can be as get up in the league with those guys, right? You know, be recognized by them as really a player. Because at the time I was a trumpet player and I wasn't really very good. I was okay, you know, enough to get through the parts and, you know, all of that. So I really had to study. And it was kind of funny. So when I got the call, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I'm going to go play with Toto. I was like, oh, yes, this will be cool. Right, yeah. So I was, so all I can tell you is I studied the music. I practiced it and learned it inside and out, made sure I had it all every day. And I know the night before I couldn't sleep. I was so scared that I was going to go in. If I screwed up, I would panic. If I played stuff wrong or it didn't feel good, I thought, oh, it could be terrible. Right. And I'll just never forget the first thing I did when I walked in and I was already kind of ready to play. Wasn't, we didn't even start out playing. The first thing Jeff did was hand me a cowbell. <laughs> and he made Need me play cowbell. the cowbell yeah. first yeah. for the first time right. and the reason was is he wanted to see what my time was like right because yeah. he's a groove king right and yeah. luckily through those years i became a fanatic with metronomes and i had one of the first five lynn drum machines that i bought back in the day so time is something that i was really in so after i played that song it was like sinking in you know just sinking into the groove with jeff and afterwards he came put his arm around me said okay page it was like i got through it then everything else was smooth sailing from that point but that first cowbell was a little scary because i thought if i came in and i was like all funky and it didn't feel good and stuff he was like get out of here right i thought i was gonna fail well, um, so, but yeah. Well, so, oh, okay. So during the tour, we, we you know when you played play live with with them, um, where where do you well received by the fans, or did they just like I don't wanna, you know? I'm sorry. Say that again. What was it you said? Were you were you well received by the by by their fans? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was great. I mean, again, it was these were brothers, and you know, it was it was just a great tour. I mean, we had a blast on that tour, mm-hmm. and uh, it was so fun for me. It was you know, we had the we had two buses when we we toured on that one, and I we had the A bus and the B bus, and the 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 A bus was Lukather and Page and Mike. Mikey Picaro and uh, uh, Steve Picaro. And then our bus was myself, Jeff, uh, Lenny Castro, percussionist, and Paulette, uh, who was one of the singers. And uh, I'm telling you, buddy, those trips were so good. It would be like we listened to three records, basically three artists, you know, for that entire tour. And I learned so much about music and the grooves and the stories that Jeff had. It was really, really a blast. I mean, I really, really enjoyed that, that, that tour a lot to hang with such, such, you know, incredible musicians. I mean, they're just amazing players. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're on so many records. Yeah. It's like crazy. Exactly. Yeah. We, we spent a lot of time listening to, to uh, Toto last night, just kind of just around the house and just, yeah. 
Wonderful. They can play. They got serious chops and stuff. You know, it was yeah. funny. We were talking about legendary. So Jeff Beccaro was on thousands and thousands of records before he passed. Uh, but Leland Scalar, he's been on. Tw- he's the most recorded bass player in history. He's on twenty six thousand records. Really, twenty six thousand. I didn't say hundred. I said no. thousand. Right. Yeah. Twenty six thousand recordings. Yeah. Man, it's like where do you yeah. find the time? How do you sleep? I, uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he does not he sleep. Did. He's a vampire, dude. <laughs> Come on, yeah. now. I mean, yeah. Fifty-something years of just doing sessions and playing on records, you know, daily for multiple. Yeah. When they were when during those days, they were racking. You know, they were doing three sessions a day, and you know, you do three, four songs, you know, right. on a, at a time, and you know, they just cranking out stuff. And that was how it was back in the day. Those were fun days, the music time, yeah. you know, when uh, those early times we, we'd go from one session, one studio to the next studio. It's talking to Kenny Aronoff, which you probably get because Eileen puts him on a bunch of stuff. But Kenny, you know, one of the great drummers, another guy that's been on stuff. And we were talking about it the other day when he'd go to Nash, he had drums kits. He had, he had like three kits in Nashville and he had kits in new york and he had stuff and he would just fly he'd go to nashville and they'd do a 10 2 and a 4 right it was like and uh you'd go to one session and that session while it was being set up they'd have another set of drums there he'd walk in do three hours there go grab lunch and go do three hours more and they just that's how it was back in those days that's how sessions were being done it was really something that sounds like so much fun. Like I would just love to do that. So I'm a drummer. These are not mine. These oh. are my. These are my wife's guitars. Uh, ah. so <laughs> I just use it as great uh, as the backdrop. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she she she's she's a guitarist. I'm a drummer. So I would I can't imagine what it would be like to just go to different cities and have multiple drum sets that are just waiting for you. And yeah, yeah. You just come in and do I sessions. Mean, he had one everywhere. He had them in London. Yeah. He had them everywhere because he was just fly. He was just flying. They were flying them everywhere these yeah. days. But that was when the budgets were massive and everybody didn't care. It was like the record label yeah. was just throwing the dollars down, right? Yeah. <laughs> different time, different time now. Yeah. So, so I have a question. Well, for, so, oh, yeah, go ahead, Jay. Okay, yeah, so I have a question before Broadly has his. Um, uh, so you worked with David Lee Roth on his 2003 album, Diamond Days. I got to know, is he as crazy as he's led to believe or is he just a sweet guy? You know, I don't know. First of all, I don't think it was the Diamond Dave album I did just to be to crush. Maybe it was. I don't remember the names. Yeah. But no, that was those were interesting sessions because I'd never played with them. And uh, I went to that. uh, I remember showing up at the studio at like 9 a.m. in the morning. Here comes Dave. Yeah, he's like Shecky Green, like he never stopped, like he's the funniest guy, you know, and it's like he's a joke. It just it just keeps going and. He had a nice bottle of Jack there, and you know it was like get this get get this session going, right? So, uh, yeah, he was a lot of fun. It was fun to work with him on that. He's a really interesting guy, yeah. really yeah. funny. Well, imagine that, man, a bottle of Jack at nine o'clock in the morning. I can't. I, I just, <laughs> those were the days. I don't think he's doing that anymore. But <laughs> no, those I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those, that's Jeez. awesome. That was when rock and roll, rock and roll. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Got it. Now it's it's our cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, gotta, you gotta slow it down, yeah. just energy, you know. My energy smoothie, and you know. Yeah. <laughs> so with Pink Floyd, you've recorded uh, five albums, correct? 
No, I did. I did. No, I did uh, momentary lapsaries and delicate right. sound of thunder. And then there were, I believe, there were some European things that were you released did, and stuff. That, well, well, gotcha. Well, on, on, on Wikipedia says uh, you did three box sets. Shine on. Wikipedia. Oh, by the oh way, yeah, yeah. And oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are box yeah, sets yeah. of of things right. that we yeah. were part of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Which, by the way, my my oldest sister Greta, uh, she's geeking out that I'm even talking to you right now. And uh, all right, she, you love. Hi, Greta. Uh, <laughs> oh she's Hi, sister Greta. yeah she's she's i told her we were doing this interview and she was like you have no idea how much i wore out uh delicate sound of thunder like oh wow <laughs> so, you know it's yeah, a really it's a really good album i mean it's it actually it's like, like some of the early floyd fans are you know that are that are really fanatic about the uh, that a specific sound that was back in the day but i think you know dave did a great job and bob ezrin you know produced that it's a it's a really good at record i go back and i i haven't listened i don't really you know i never go listen to the stuff i do it's funny it's it's people sure. tell me about it because i know they released this box set and they remastered everything and they re upsampled all the video up to 4k and it's incredible. Yeah. I've seen a couple clips of the new versions of it on uh, YouTube. There, that some of the songs are out there, and it's 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 really it's pretty cool. I mean, that's one thing about Floyd. You know, they they don't mess around. Their production is as world class as it can possibly be. Right? It's right. that's everything they do. It's you know top technologies, top designers. You know, Storm Thorgensen, one of the you know greatest designer album cover designers of all time. I actually think he was like kind of the fifth member of the band. Uh, sure. Back in the day, because of all the visuals and his creativeness in that space was, you know, a big part of what Floyd is. And, you right. know, you look at Dave Gilmore, to me, he's the master of melody. Right? <laughs> right, he's like, yeah, great. Yeah. you know, you listen to Comfortably Numb. And if you're not listening, to, if you don't hear the solo, the, the guitar solo, it's like, what happened? Somebody didn't sing the lyrics. It's almost that important <laughs> of the song is that whole melody is so right. iconic. Right. And all those solos he did so yeah dave is the master master of melody and he completely changed my my thinking about music uh, mainly because of that you know instead of you know usually a lot of times saxophone players are like, we play all these notes and all this stuff and it sounds good to the people who want to listen to it but nobody's going home humming it Right. <laughs> yeah. They're not going, oh, wow, I, that melody's stuck in my head, right? right? It's like, oh, I can't believe that thing is in my head. I can't get it out of my mind, right? right. So that's when I started saying, okay, I'm going to change my whole game. I'm going to play like a singer. I'm going to start thinking about melodies. And, and I changed my whole style in a sense. Well, I, I, I modified my style. He made me th really think about it in those terms, you know. And I loved playing with Floyd. I mean, I always say it was the easiest gig I've ever had because nobody told me anything to do. I just came in, Dave said, just play, make your own make your own stuff up. And when it's your time to solo, just solo, right? right? So I just soloed. It was fun. It was easy. I never had to do anything. But, you know, I would always, you know, go back to, because a lot of those early records were Dick Perry. And I wanted to always honor his thing so i would always pick a little piece of it to start the solos that people would recognize and then i'd go take my own make my own kind of wear my own clothes so to speak right right absolutely yeah. yeah so with with those albums that you were a part of was the writing process pretty much the same like uh well, remember those you know again i wasn't really part of the writing process on those mm -hmm. i came in um and put solos on okay. like yeah. play parts they I go in the studio, they say, 
play something here. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. I just went in and I put solos and stuff on those records. I wasn't actually part of the writing session of those songs on those records. No. I got you. Well, they, th your parts definitely make those songs and those albums very oh, iconic. Yeah. And Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, it's pretty hard not to be iconic when you're playing with the iconic. I mean, <laughs> the most iconic band in the world, right? right? Yeah. Just automatically, whatever you play on that record becomes iconic. If that record goes out, it is said. Right. But yeah, I'm very honored, very thankful. I mean, it's actually interesting. Is when I got the call to do this thing. I mean, I was I met Dave when we were doing a Super Tramp record. He came and guested on the record and played a solo on the album, and that's when we became friends. Or I got, got to know him. I invited him to a right. gig I had that night. He came down and hung out with us at the club, and and then a week later he came to a show I did. And then a couple of days later he um, um, uh, called me to go put solos on the record and i went and did that and then um uh, i came back but the funny part was is i knew nothing about pink floyd i mean honest <laughs> to god i knew nothing about pink floyd at that time. <laughs> i had no idea i mean i knew who they were but i couldn't you tell you what songs yeah. they did i said i the only thing i could have remembered at the time i remember was i knew i remember hearing that song have a cigar right and so yeah. i said yeah i know i mean that's that band that does that cigar song have a cigar what is it right yes yeah so when i got called afterwards so i went and played put the solos on the record did the stuff and it was cool and i hadn't didn't really understand much more about it on that then a couple days later he called me up and said hey we're going out again you want to come on we're going to do a two-year tour do you want to join me you want to look and join the band for this all this stuff and i said eh, let me think about it dave right so <laughs> i I didn't know. So I called my friends up, you know, my music buddies. I said, you know, I, I went and I played on this record. It was for this band called Pink Floyd. They said, oh, dude, you played on a Pink Floyd record. I said, yeah. I said, I did. I said, he says, are you kidding me? No. I said, yeah, I played on that record. And it was really cool. And then I got called from the, the guitar player, this guy, Dave Gilmore. Dave Gilmore called you on the phone. I said, yeah, yeah. He called me to play on this thing. And he yeah, wants me to go do this tour and join this, to do this thing and go out. And they said, Dude, you have to do this. You gotta do this, right? So that night, I remember going to. I went to uh, uh, Tower Records because they were open, yeah. you know, late. And I brought the records, and I came home, and I listened to it all. And I finally said, you know, I called some more friends of mine, and because you know, as a saxophone player, it's not really a place you spend a bunch of time. I was listening to, you know, Junior Walker and you know, Fathead Newman and Lockjaw Davis, and you know, all the Texas tenor guys, and you know, King Curtis, and all that stuff, because that's where saxophone lived. Um, and so, uh, but I called on my friends. They said, you have to do it. So I ended up taking it. And boy, am I glad I did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's best yeah. hardest thing. If I wouldn't have done that, I would have been kicking myself today. But I'm very thankful and had a wonderful ride. And it was truly a uh, an experience of I can't even describe. You know, it was yeah. just amazing to be tied to such a powerful brand. The brand, yeah. the power of that brand mm -hmm. worldwide. And, you know, it was we did they were all stadium tours, you know, they were all huge events and we went around the world twice and did that show sold about pretty much most all the shows, every show, I think pretty much, uh, close to it anyway, if they didn't, they were, they were there. Uh, so that was a wonderful, you know, incredible lifetime experience that was crazy. And it's actually, it's funny because I've been going through all my archives because of all this NFT stuff. I'm, I'm getting ready to launch 
50 years or 40 something years of collectibles that I've collected from all my tours and you know, never before seen photos and pictures and, and video. I've shot about 150 hours of Floyd video through all that. And I've been creating all this really cool art pieces out of all this stuff, which I'm going to launch as NFTs. Um, later that'll be probably in a couple two three months where i'm we're launching these other ones first then i'm gonna do my whole thing after that but um yeah it's it's crazy i've been looking at all this stuff i hadn't seen you know all this video i'd shot i just put it in a box so i've been pulling opening up these boxes that were crazy and here i'll show you something that's really kind of fun if i can find it quick enough here because i because uh this will this will blow your mind uh, it'll be funny for people to see here. Let me, let me, let me see here if I can do this real quick. Let me see. No, that won't be it. I don't want to hold everybody up here. I'm just trying to find this because it'll be fun to see. Let's see. Where can I do that? Oh, let me go see if it's in the, let me see if it's here, favorites, if I can find it here. Hold on one second. Hi out there in the land. I'm almost there. Uh, <laughs> oh, they're fine. They'll wait, 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 they'll wait with us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm going to hold this up. You can't see this, but I'm going to do it, and I'll tell the story. So I went to see David Gilmore. That's a shirt, right? That's a that's basically the back. And I'm telling the story. I went to see Dave's show at Pompeii. They released it. And I came home and opened my box, and that what was that's what was in my boxes unused tickets from every show massive amounts of like that's the original picture yes. from the album cover yeah. that storm gave me that album cover which was original yeah. yeah and uh you can see there's just like a whole bunch of stuff here like let me see here i can kind of slide it around you can i don't know it's kind of hard to see but all this crazy the original jacket from the right. uh, mtv stuff gold albums just crazy stuff just mounds and mounds of this stuff right sign books covers but you get the idea it's a vast collection of stuff that people uh, that i have that i had no idea <laughs> that i were in boxes this whole time but you can see it it's a massive yeah. crazy yeah. amount of stuff so yeah. That's been fun to go through, and I just digitized all the video and been watching that, and that's been crazy yeah. to see go back after you know twenty five years or something when we did that tour, and they're thirty years now, and uh, to bring that stuff back right now, it's been like a time capsule to watch this all go down. Yeah, because it's oh, amazing yeah. to find <laughs> like, like like memories like, of, of certain like like your, like your show tickets and bring back like bring back, a of like memories, you know. Oh yeah bringing it back for me too because i'm looking at it and i shot thousands of photographs which i've been going through and i shot them all black and white i was a kind of a amateur photographer so i would take the opportunity to be on the road and say i'm going all over the world so i'm going to shoot pictures so i've shot some pictures that i'm really proud of that i've got that are just really crazy cool and i'm going to be releasing those too and so it's been fun going back and reminiscing going checking it all out nice nice yeah so it's no doubt that you have quite a history um providing the saxophone for a number of artists over the years. Um, speaking mm -hmm. of tours, um, do you have a favorite tour or show that really stood out to you? Well, you know, a lot of favorite 
I mean, there was a lot of great shows. I think, you know, if I would say one show, and it's probably because that's one of the shows I'm working on right now, was when Pink Floyd, we played Venice, Italy. And they floated these two barges down from Oslo, the sizes of football fields, and they set up the entire show on the water, 150 yards off of St. Mark's Square, and hundreds of thousands of people showed up. It was a free Pink Floyd concert in Venice. The people were living on gondolas for days while it was set up to hold their spots. And it was the streets were filled to the max. And anybody that can go, so just go type into Google Pink Floyd Venice, and you will see like yeah. the amazing amount of stuff and then unfortunately the destruction afterwards because it's like there was trash and garbage and right. venice was trash it was just crazy to see this they'll never do that again but <laughs> that show was really really special uh the palace of versailles was incredible that was the first time anybody played the palace of versailles and ninety thousand people showed it was an amazing uh thing there and then you know uh, uh russia was incredible that was also we did. Uh, uh, I think we did twelve nights or ten nights, some some number in the in the um, thirty five thousand seat arena that they had for the Olympic Stadium thing, Olympic indoor stadium, and um, that was incredible too. So I mean, there was a variety of them. So any of them that stick out, but that Venice was just extraordinary because the only way you could get around was on boats and to get around to get out there. And I'll never forget just to get a ride from the from the dock to the thing, the gondola guy, or not the gondola guys, the little boat shuttle guys would charge you like 60 bucks to go for like 150 yards. Right. And they were like, mm -hmm. they, were, they were killing it because it was the only transportation, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was I a great a, I have a, a, a question here. Um, we're going to get to our listener questions in just a minute here. This okay, yes. Yeah. I don't mean to be rude, but I, I unfortunately, I have, I have business that I have to jump to pretty quick. So we'll, let, we'll have to, I'll have to go pretty quick. Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, why don't we skip, why don't we skip right over that? Um, and uh, we'll go to our listener questions. Is that good with you, James? Oh, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. That's fine. Oh, I'm sorry. Right, that's no, no, it's no, good no, with me. No, it's okay with no, you, James. Still fine. Oh, yeah. All good. Um, so my, my sister Greta, she had a question. She wanted to ask about the division between David Gilmour and Roger Waters and how it affected the future work. Um, yeah, you know, it's such a funny thing. There's not a lot of, there's never been a lot of talk, at least amongst all of us about that. Uh, I really don't know the whole spiel, but I just know that they were, you know, best friends and got crazy someplace. And there's just been this incredible rub for a whole period of time. And, um, I know that there was close to like everything was coming sort of back together again. And then there was an article in Rolling Stone magazine or Playboy magazine where there was some more words said about things and that kind of drove everybody apart again. And uh, I really, to be honest, I really didn't know. And it wasn't something I wanted to get into too much with Dave or any of that stuff. I just kind of let that go. So I'm sorry. I don't really know the, the, the nuances of what the issues were, but yeah. No, sorry. No, all good. Um, and then I have I have another question from my sister-in-law, uh, Christine. She wants to know what's it like to be the Kenny G of Pink Floyd. <laughs> Kenny G of Pink Floyd. What? Well, you know, uh, Kenny G did very well. I mean, you know, as far as saxophone players, he's probably the most made the most money and most renowned saxophone player worldwide when it comes to 
you know, his records. I forgot how many. I think I think he sold like 60 million records or some stupid number like that. There's right. no saxophone player in the world that's done that. Plus, he made great investments. You know, he was one of the first investors in Starbucks. Wow. And that what turned into something? something. Yeah. So Kenny's been quite done quite well for himself. Uh, and uh, I'm very thankful. Thank you for saying that. That's very kind. Uh, we don't play anything alike. I'm, I definitely <laughs> don't play like Kenny G. I don't play that style of music, you know, very much. Uh, but, you know, as far as a, a business guy and somebody that took the saxophone, turned it into making money, yeah. Kenny G did it. So... Thanks for putting me in that seat with him, right? There you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, we do have two more questions for you, and then, okay. and then we'll let you go. Okay. Um, this question is from my cousin Madison. He asks, okay. what's it like to be on the road, on the road with Pink Floyd? Well, I mean, it's, uh, well, I guess, you know, first of all, it's the... It's always very comfortable. <laughs> if you're going to travel and you're going to be on the road with a band, Pink Floyd is the band to be on. Right. Super Trap was good too, uh, but this they were you know everything was really you know we flew on our own. We had a 727 stretch jet that was completely you know it was that was rented from a, a chic that had set this up. It only sat 22 people, but it had bedrooms and bathrooms and you know, like just decked out like a hotel room, you know, really beautiful space, great meals. You know, we lived pretty large. We stayed in five-star hotels and we only really worked, you know, roughly three, maybe four days the most a week because of, you know, I had to move this thing, right? So we do a show and then next day would be a day off because they have to move things. And we had multiple stages. Right. So there were just like stages that we would leapfrog. So one would be set up here and then they set up another one here. And we were actually the steel part of it for one of them. We were trading tours with Michael Jackson. So the Jackson tour was on. And then wow. so they would set it so they could use the same staging steel for all of them. So then they would just have to bring the stuff. But, you know, you know, traveling with Pink Floyd was really very, 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 very nice and a wonderful you know, experience to experience the world in that sort of five-star world, right? You know, it's like the best yeah. hotels, the best food, the best, you know, everything. And uh, we had a blast. I mean, it was truly, uh, I'm very thankful. I like, I like to always say, I feel like I'm the most, I am the most grateful, most blessed human being that has ever lived. I'm so thankful for the, the life that I've been able to have because yeah. it's been a pretty good ride. Now, it hasn't always been easy. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, it's been cake. I've gone through my struggles and all that stuff, too. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, right. looking at this musical career to be able to do these types of things is really a, is really a gift. And I'm very, very thankful. Cool. Sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So um, our very last question is our podcast is called uh, When words fail music speaks um i find that very very true um so there is is there one song that you can think of right now that you can listen to but you can't tell like me or blake or you know your sister or your mom that how how it makes you feel is there a song right now well see i happen to go back to i love i truly love those old american classics like you know uh amazing grace uh uh, yeah. Tennessee Waltz, yeah. uh, you know, those great, beautiful tradition, melody, storytelling songs, you know, so I love all of that kind of stuff. Anyone particularly, uh, you know, uh, gosh, I, uh, I know it's so hard. 
so hard to pick, you know? It's so hard to pick. There's yeah. just so many great, great songs. You know, I mean, I can think of songs that really, you know, uh, mostly things for me that make me feel that I can actually say this with certain solos. Like, you know, I, I think of Stevie Wonder on his harmonica playing for once in my life. That harmonica solo is touches me like nothing else. Like, it's just, sure. it is one of the most, for me, one of the most beautifully constructed musical solos I've ever heard. It's just yeah. an incredibly beautiful phrasing and the lines that he plays and the melody. It's just incredible. So I kind of being a, uh, a, uh, a musician, I go back to solos that really touched me. And, you know, there's that. And, you know, Hank Crawford, one of the great alto saxophone players, my, one of my heroes, he taught me a lot. He's actually the precursor, what I would say to David Sanborn. David Sanborn had a real distinct style. He changed the landscape of saxophone from my point of view, because of the sound. When you hear Dave Sanborn can play one note, where when he first came out, you could not tell, it, you knew who that was, Dave right, Sanborn, because right. he didn't sound like anybody else. Now there's a, there's a lot of Dave Sanborn clones and everybody's kind of, the community's picked up on his style and brought it sure. there, but he was the guy for that. And uh, But Hank Crawford, that song, Easy Living, the solo he plays on that is just, I don't know how it makes you feel. I hear that song and it's just, it just, it tears my heart. It just, yeah. it just oh, it's just so yeah. musical and you can hear every note and feel everything that he plays. You know, it's, it's incredible. Well, music is a really powerful thing. So yes, it is. It, yeah. Well, remember, think at the end, at the bottom line, we're all a note. We're just a piece of, we're energy, right? right. And we're a vibration and music is that. And, you know, it's so sad to see how music's being taken out of all the schools and all that yeah. when it's really probably one of the most important, you know, it's one of the top important things in the human existence and humanity is that shared music experience that we have with all of us. People get out and dance. And I mean, it's, it's everything about us. It makes us happy uh, when we're sad. It, it helps us through tough times, through great times. It's, it's the thing we launch, we reach into when we need it. And it's just sad to see that that's a lot going out. That's why we're building the music school and really trying to support things that help keep music out there because it's not just about the music. It's about what it does to the soul, right? It's a, right. It's a fundamental yeah. piece of who we are that is so critical and it's so important, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, that's the thing. When words fail, music speaks. Music always speaks. It, when words yeah. fail, music speaks. And that is yeah. like the truth that's right it, there my yeah, friend. That's, it, so. that's about as true as it gets right there, there you go there you go boom oh so well, Scott, thank you so much for doing this this is oh. this has been an absolute honor we've oh, we really enjoyed getting to talk to you um well, thank, and uh thank you. good luck out there as the the world kind of gets back to normal and you know with, yeah uh, we like that think and everything and I, more more power to you for uh for pushing on through during during this whole thing yeah, you know, my whole thing is this, I and mean, I always like to leave this with people because I think this is really important to understand. And this is something that changed my life more than anything that's, that I've ever had is this. Right now, us talking is the only thing that's real. Mm, Everything yeah. else is an illusion, a thought, a metric. Five minutes ago, right? can never change it, can never touch it, can never do anything. I can just remember it, right? So it's a, it's a mentation, it's a thought, it's an illusion. It's just something that I imagine in my head. Five, five minutes from now, same thing. Right, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, what could happen in five minutes? I mean, anything can happen. I don't know, right? You just don't know. So because it's the only thing that's real, it's the, that's where I try to live. And it's, it's all about uh, realizing 
that the only step that you take that's, that matters is the one that you're taking right now. And so like when all this COVID stuff hit, I realized I got up in the morning, I went, all my gigs are gone. Everything we've done, all the revenue's gone. We're done. We're just, there's, we're, we're done. Right. Yeah. But instead of realizing, I went and said, well, wait a minute, I'm still drinking this cup of coffee. In reality, I was there at that moment. And I just said, they're inside of all chaos and things is where there's new opportunities. So I hope everybody out there looks at the fact that say, yeah, that happened. But whatever it is, the only thing that's happening right now, unless you're being chased by a lion or something, and don't get me wrong, things are actually better than they you think they can be if you can wake up enough to see reality and live in that space. So all I can tell everybody is the most important journey is the one you take inward and discover how to be aware and live in that space. And so I just it is really important to me and it's what makes it work. And that's how I push through the whole thing is is just realizing what was real and then just looked for all the opportunities. And there's a lot of them right now. This is the greatest opportunities for so many things as an entrepreneur because there's so many problems that have to be have to be fixed now that have happened. So it's launching all kinds of new entrepreneurship with people and ideas how to change and do things differently. So uh, don't get discouraged out there. Hang in there. Uh, remember, the only thing that's real is us now. Or if you're out there and you're listening to this, as you listen to this, that's the only thing that's real. So don't get yeah. caught up in the, the mental noise that we get caught up in. And, oh, I'm suffering. Worry, 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 which is not really even happening. We're worrying because we're identifying with thoughts in our head, not with reality. So that's all. I just like to tell people, you know, stay present, figure out what that is. And it's all about awareness. And here's the puzzle. How do I know I'm aware that I'm aware? Solve that one, Ooh. and life will be good. Ooh. There you go. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's, that's a brain teaser, right? So, yeah. <laughs> brain teaser. That's right, yeah. yeah. So, um, we do hope that you come back anytime you want. Sure. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. Give me a buzz. I'll be there. Hit up Eileen. She'll set it up. And yes, I love coming to talk to you. And thank you. And good luck to you guys with your show. Thank you, man. Right? Because remember, you everybody gets to be a businessman. Listen, you're you're a broadcaster, man. You're NBC. Like they had years. You have that ability now to We're go build your business. NBC, right? <laughs> you're your own, but you don't need them anymore. You can do your own thing. That's right, man. So good luck. Okay. Good luck on your entrepreneurial spirit. And yes, when words fail, music speaks. Very important. Thank you, Nikki Scott. Thank you so much. All right, we'll see you guys. Bye. Bye. All right.